welcome. We're delighted you've joined us at Simply Jesus tonight. One of the features of Simply Jesus is we encourage you to ask us questions. And tonight is no different. Uh, there'll be a text number that will come up at the end on a slide. If you've got any questions that you want us to try and answer next time we meet, then why not text them in and we'll see what we can do. Do you want to flick up the slides? Um, the one that, this one is actually carried over from a couple of months. It was a stinker. All right, a really difficult one. Um, if you flick onto the next slide, there was a headline in the Daily Express that said, end of the world, Bible scholars' prediction for Jesus Christ is shockingly close. So is it true? Now, the problem I had is I went all over the place and looked at various Bible scholars, and this prediction comes from a passage in Matthew. Just want to flick to the next slide. This particular section here, and depending on who you speak to, they have different, very different views, eminent theologians. And which bit of it is talking about the fall of Jerusalem and which bit of it's talking about end times? So I struggled with it until I read a really great article where someone just sort of nailed it nice and simply for me. So I've stolen this explanation from a, a, a guy from a Bible college in the US. So he says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now, the fig tree, according to the people that are doing this, is an allegory of Israel. All right? So he's talking about Israel, this guy who's making this prediction. So he said, if that's Israel, he says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. In other words, that Jesus comes back. Now, what the, what the calculation works that um, Israel was formed in 1948. A generation is roughly 70 to 80 years, which sort of sticks it between 2018 and 2028. All right? That's the point that they're making. Now, the bit that I think makes it much easier for us to understand is if we look at the sentence after this, it says, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Nor the Son. So the person that's telling us this is Jesus, all right? And he's also telling us he doesn't know when it's going to happen. So if this was some clever code, it just doesn't quite work, does it? So I think the point for me here is this was not written, Jesus didn't say this to give us a code to tell us when it was going to happen. This is about Jesus saying, you will see these things happening, but don't be surprised because I'm still in control. I'm still in control. These things will happen and I will return. All right? But because he doesn't know, I don't believe this is some clever code telling us when he's going to return. That's my reading and interpretation. If you go online, you'll find about another 74. All right? And certainly certain eminent scholars look at these in slightly different ways. And I'm not even going to try and share some of that stuff with you because I got very confused myself. Okay. So don't forget, if you've got a question, 
Um, hopefully easier than that one, please, next time. But um, we'll, we'll endeavor. So either, it could be either something that's come out of the talk, or it might be something that you spotted that you just want to know an answer to. And we'll do our best next time to answer your questions. This evening's reading is taken from the New Testament, uh, the book of John, starting at chapter 6, reading from verse 1 to 15, and then 35 to 40. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy the bread for these people to eat? He only asked this to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people who saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this point we watched a video showing an elderly Chinese man making a folding stool out of a single solid block of wood by cutting through in several places to make interlocking fingers, never totally separating one part from another. You can watch this video, or another like it, on YouTube by searching for Chinese carpenter stool. Come be honest. How many of you guessed that that was going to be a chair at the end? I know, amazing. Um, my artistic skills are legendary, I have to tell you. Um, actually, they're, they're not. They're an endless source of amusement in my family. Um, I would really like to have had some examples to show you, but I think I've destroyed all the evidence. Um, it's not just my family that think I'm not all that artistic. In my school reports, my art teacher was 
polite, but um, not entirely complimentary, shall we put it that way. So I'm always a little bit in awe of people who can take what appears to be something ordinary and transform it into a thing of beauty. So that, that lump of wood in the video actually to me just looked like a lump of wood. And having just asked you, to, to you also, I don't think I would have been able to see its potential, to see that it could have been transformed into something of beauty, but that creativity and the skill and the patience of that craftsman, that ordinary lump of wood has been changed into something practical, something with a purpose, something that I think has real beauty. And actually, I could have found all sorts of different examples, couldn't I? Um, I could have found something with clay or paper or fabric, things that look ordinary and are the basic things that we use, but in the right hands can be so much more. So it's really great to see you all here. For those of you that haven't been to a Simply Jesus event before, this is an opportunity to explore together some key questions about this man, Jesus. Who is he? Why does he matter? Can someone who lived 2,000 years ago really have any relevance to life today? Well, I know what I believe. I believe not only is he relevant to every part of life, he is the key to unlocking your full potential, the key to lasting satisfaction, and the true hope for the future. This afternoon is a chance for you to come to your own conclusion about that. But stay with me as we journey through the occasion that we call the feeding of the 5,000. And let's explore together what we can learn from that passage. And keep in mind that at the end, there might be those questions that you want to text in. So as you're listening, kind of think, maybe there's something that you don't quite understand or something you'd like to ask a bit more about. So just kind of think about that as you're listening. So the event is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, those are the books in the Bible that are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. And they're the story of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, his time on earth. So we read the passage in John today, but the details in the other three versions are essentially the same. So just a slight little aside for those of you that like to consider the historical evidence. The fact that this particular miracle is the only one that's found in all four Gospels, and the fact that all four versions are essentially the same but slightly different, does mean that historians think there's enough evidence to suggest that such a gathering took place. Some of the details of the time of year and of the location, how the five loaves and two fish were enough to feed 5,000 or more, I guess, comes down to a faith perspective. But we can be sure that an event involving many thousands of people at which Jesus was present did take place. Now, I've not really got enough time to go into that much more, but you can research some of that stuff if you want to look into it a little bit more later. So, back to the passage and back to the passage in John. And right at the beginning, 
it feels to me that you get this sense of excitement. Right at the beginning, we read of these large crowds that are gathering, following this man, Jesus. They're really eager to see the things he could do and hear what he had to say. Perhaps you can kind of picture the scene in your mind. News had traveled of his teaching, the miracles he had done and the way he could heal. Have you heard what what happened? Have you heard what happened to that? Have you heard what? And so the, the conversation started And they wanted to be a part of it. They were curious to find out more. And those who met him knew that he was no ordinary teacher. There was something special, something extraordinary about this man. He was just so different from the other teachers and leaders. On the one hand, you have someone who seemed to have real authority from God. He spoke with authority. And you'd think that would make him a little bit removed from the people. But on the other hand, he welcomed everyone, treated everyone equally, the sick, the poor, even those who basically were considered to be outsiders in society. We read time and again in the Gospels how Jesus met with individuals who normally would have been at best pitied, more likely shunned and ignored. And those encounters with Jesus left people healed, left people changed, left lives changed. So the crowds of people that followed him wanted to see more. They wanted to see more of the miracles. I wonder why you have come today. Like the crowds that followed Jesus in the passage, maybe you're also curious about this man, Jesus. Perhaps you've seen the way that faith in Jesus has impacted and changed the life of someone you know, and you want to see what that's all about. Maybe you've heard other people speak about Jesus, and some of the things have stuck with you, but you're not really sure why. You've got lots of questions, but you're not really sure how to find the answers. There's just something about faith and something compelling about Jesus that means you want to know more. Possibly you're not even sure why you came along. It was just that everybody else was coming along and you joined in too. For whatever reason you came here today, however you're feeling, however many questions you have, however on the outside you feel, know that in Jesus there is a genuine welcome. So we have this great crowd of people following Jesus. And although John doesn't say it specifically, Some of the other gospel versions note that Jesus looks out at the great crowd and is filled with compassion for them. Yes, he cares deeply about their spiritual growth. Of course he does. He wants them to learn about the Father God who loves them. But equally, he cares deeply about their physical needs. He understands that they're hungry. Throughout the Gospels, we read about Jesus being right in the middle of situations when individuals had a deep need. He recognized their suffering, and he reached out to those who were hurting. In my experience, and I know that many other Christians will say the same, Jesus is interested in every part of your life. Not just the part of life when we're being spiritual on a Sunday, but the part when we're hungry, 
the part when we're wondering how we'll pay the next bill, the part in the middle of the night when we're too anxious to sleep, the part when we feel rejected or unnoticed, the part when we're mourning. Jesus isn't detached from those everyday moments. He's not detached from our everyday lives. He's right in the middle with us. Jesus, who, although he is God, lived as a human on earth, shared our emotions, understands our pain. He sees the things that trouble us and the things that cause us concern. He looks on us with the same compassion that he looked at those crowds of people 2,000 years ago. And he says, you don't have to face those issues alone. But there's still this problem, isn't there? The, the people are still hungry. There are lots of mouths to feed, and feeding them is not going to be cheap. In fact, the only food around seemed to be a boy with his five loaves and two fish. And if you just apologize, because I was supposed to bring this up when I came, and then I forgot. <laughs> so five loaves and two fish. Now, I didn't know what barley loaves were. I'm not sure we sell those in the shop, so I'm afraid you've just got normal rolls to represent five loaves. And I didn't really think that I should bring some fish because I didn't think you'd thank me for the, uh, the smell. So I've got two fish there, five loaves and two fish. I'm not sure that would be enough for us let alone the enormous crowd that were gathered there. And even Jesus' disciples questioned the amount. How on earth can that small offering be enough for all of these? How can it possibly be of any use at all? But when Jesus looks at it, he doesn't see five loaves and two fish. He sees the possibility. He sees the potential of this seemingly insignificant amount of food. In God's hands and through his power, this small offering is multiplied many times over. That small amount of food becomes a feast. 5,000 men, it says in the passage, doesn't count the women and children. It could be at least double that. And not only does everyone have enough to eat, but there's plenty left over. And through this act of feeding the crowd, Jesus demonstrated the power of God to take what seems insufficient and turn it into an abundant outpouring of his grace, a rich demonstration of his blessings. I think sometimes we can feel we have very little to offer. We look at ourselves and we see what's insufficient. We see our own shortcomings. We see the things about ourselves that hold us back. Maybe other people in the past have told us we're not good enough and we've believed what they've said. You're not clever enough. You're not talented enough. You'll never amount to much. You're too anxious. You're too insecure. These are the things that we believe about ourselves. But the God who loves us, the God who created us, sees only possibility. He sees the potential. 
Just like a lump of wood can become an amazing chair, just like a few loaves and fish can become a feast, so if you trust in the Jesus who has the power to change lives, then there is no limit to the possibilities. He sees us exactly how we are, and yet he sees our potential. He sees us how we are, but he also sees everything that we could be. Of course, he loves, welcomes, and accepts us exactly as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. In his hands and in in his power, we have the potential to change and be changed into the very best version of ourselves, the person that God always intended for us to be, finding a true purpose in life and fulfilling all the plans that he has for us. God wants whatever you have to offer. Will you today offer to God every part of you, however big or small? Will you offer him your past, the hurt, the pain, the disappointments, the joys, the regrets? Will you offer him your present, your fears, your insecurities, your questions, maybe your reputation? And will you offer him your future, your hopes, your dreams, your ambitions, your heart? Are you willing to allow God to transform each part of you? You trust that he can multiply the little that you have to give and allow him to work a miracle in your life. God is able to do so much more than we can imagine. We sang a song, didn't we, just a little while ago about God is able. And I truly believe that God is able to work a miracle in your life, to take the little that you feel you have to offer and multiply it into so much more. I'm just going to put those over there. It's starting to make me feel a little bit hungry. I actually uh, read an interesting fact about eating somewhere. Apparently, the average person spends 35,000 hours of their lifetime eating. 35,000 hours. And if you work that out, that's the equivalent of eating for 12 hours a day, every day, for eight years. That's a lot of eating and a lot of food that we're going to consume. The problem with eating, though, is shortly after we've eaten, we get hungry again. I had a great curry last night, Shirley Spice, just down the road. It was very nice. But today I've been hungry and I've eaten again. As much as we enjoy the food we're eating, at best it will satisfy us for a few hours and then we'll need to eat again. I think that's true for many other aspects of life too. Satisfaction is a short-lived experience. No matter what we buy, no matter what we accomplish, no matter what we earn, no matter what exotic places we travel to, just a short time later it loses its ability to satisfy us. I wonder if that's something you can relate to today. I think 
for many, it's, a, it's probably a common experience that our possessions, our achievements, our income, our houses, our relationships, they satisfy us for a brief amount of time. But then we need another experience, another thrill of some type to bring us happiness, something else to make us feel contented, something else to bring us satisfaction. And that lasting contentment and long-term satisfaction seems to be always just out of reach. And then we're left looking for something more. It's interesting then that shortly after feeding that great crowd of people and feeding them until they've had plenty, Jesus expresses his understanding that the bread that they've eaten is never going to fully satisfy them. The crowds were quite happy to follow Jesus if they were going to get fed, but Jesus challenges them to look deeper, to see beyond the immediate wonder of the miracle of free food and to see him for who he really is. And so we get this wonderful metaphor Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Our physical hunger is something that can never be fully satisfied. Our search for satisfaction and meaning in life can lead us to look in the wrong places. Sometimes you hear people talk about that feeling of something missing that they then try to fill with all sorts of experiences, legal and illegal. We can look for satisfaction and contentment in loads of different places, but ultimately, it's only in Jesus that we will find the deep sense of satisfaction that we're searching for. While we've learned to recognize our physical hunger, so many people today fail to identify that empty spot in their soul and that ache in their heart as a hunger for God. It's a hunger to be right with God, a hunger to be in the right relationship with him. And only God, through his son Jesus, can truly fill this empty spot and relieve that ache. Jesus is the one who quenches our spiritual thirst and satisfies our spiritual hunger. Jesus, the bread of life, offers us the very deepest nourishment, the knowledge that we are truly loved by God. Without Jesus, the bread of life, we cannot really experience the love of God in our lives. Only through Jesus can we live the full and satisfying life that God intends for us. If you're looking for meaning, if you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for certainty and security in your life, you will find all that you need in Jesus. So in lots of churches, every church, I hope, taking communion is a key part of church life and in our collective worship together. There are lots of different ways of referring to it. So here we say communion, 
But in other churches, they might call it Mass or Eucharist or maybe the Lord's Supper. And each church has slightly different ways of doing things. So maybe you've been to a church where you all drink from one cup, or maybe you go to a church where you drink from individual cups. Maybe you all come to the front. Maybe you wait in your seat to be served. There's slightly different ways of doing things, but the core elements of the, are the same. There is bread and there is wine that we share together as we remember that Jesus died so that we might know true forgiveness from God. It reminds us that Jesus died so that we can be free. Free to live this life in all of its fullness and free to live in the hope of a life beyond this one. Jesus, in the miracle of breaking bread to feed the crowd, is demonstrating something of his purpose for his life on this earth. The bread broken and shared at the feeding of the 5,000, the bread of life statement, they both point towards the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus, the bread of life, is broken on the cross so that we can know life in all its fullness. Jesus, the bread of life, who died and rose again so we can be made right with God and be set free to live life in all of its fullness. So how is it that we can know this freedom in Jesus Christ? We need to acknowledge that we've gone our own way, not God's. We need to acknowledge that we've lived in a way that hasn't been pleasing to God. Our thoughts, our actions, the way we've treated other people. We need to admit where we've gone wrong and choose to live life differently with Jesus as our guide. So we talked about finding meaning and purpose in life through Jesus. With Jesus, we can experience true satisfaction. We can experience deep joy and a sense of overwhelming peace in this life. And we can know the hope of eternity. And the first step is to acknowledge the things we've done wrong and to start afresh on this new life with God. There's so much more that can be said about this passage, so much deeper that we could go into this metaphor about the bread of life. I've only really been able to touch on some aspects, but I did say at the beginning that we were trying to answer these questions about who is Jesus and why does he matter? So I think that the decision I made to follow Jesus was the best decision I have ever made. He has been with me through joys and sorrows. He's given me a sense of peace when I've needed it. And he's changed me in so many ways. I chose to follow him because I believe that he is the one that can unlock my potential and help me to be the very best version of myself. So I wonder what you will choose today. Do you choose to listen to the voices that say you'll never amount to much? The voices that tell you you don't have very much to offer? Or the voice of Jesus that tells you that you are loved and welcomed? That you're not the sum of your insecurities, your fears, your doubts, and your regrets, but that you are, in God's hand, a masterpiece in the making? 
Do you choose to find your meaning and your purpose in Jesus, the one who can truly satisfy? Jesus who was broken for us in his death on the cross and then raised to life so that we can be forgiven and made right in our relationship with God. In a moment, we're going to allow some time just to reflect on all that we've thought about. We're going to sing again together, but before we do, we're going to listen to a song that I'm sure will be familiar to many of you. As you listen to the words, hear them in a fresh way, in the light of the things that we've talked about in that passage. Allow God to speak into your heart as you respond to his prompting. So this is a song called You Say by Lauren Daigle. Now we watched and listened to a song video. You can see this also on YouTube by searching for You Say Lauren Daigle. <laughs> 